Uh, yes, we are here. Hello, welcome to Tactical Crouch number two. We made it. We decided to do another one, Joe. Number two. Look how, look how number two. For all the audio listeners out there, almost a thousand of you. Oh, really? He's putting up a number two. Let's yeah, go. we had a lot of people download wow. on the RSS feed. Oh, look so at you guys. If you're Showing a podcast listener, just go to the Overwatch League daily podcast feed, and that's where you can find this uh, show as well. So. Yeah, so uh, that was Joe holding up the number two, or peace, Look or how cute I am, dude. whatever. Don't make me cry. I'm a I'm a cute anime. Girl. I will cry. Don't don't make me make a reaction video about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. about <laughs> jo- you. <laughs> yes, yes, guy. Yes, you're not you're not a fan of these reaction videos, huh? No. He just can't. Not- he just can't like self-identify with the emotional spectrum that you know young teenage girls have to beautiful, beautiful Korean boys. And I see that's that's my superpower. That's why I'm completely immune to the Korean yeah, argument yeah, yeah. of not being a- able to identify with people. I just don't identify with anyone, dude. <laughs> like that's <laughs> he's a he's a, he's a non-discriminatory hater. You know, he just hates everybody. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, that's the at least you got to respect that, right? I guess, yeah. You know, he doesn't see color, doesn't see gender, race. He just hates everything. Doesn't like anything. Misanthropy is my religion. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. What's your cult called? If you had a cult, what would you call it? The cult of rascality? No idea. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I need a cult to practice. Come on. I mean, you're a cult leader. Let's be honest. Cult, Cult and profit. There it is. Oh, since he sleeps on profit so much. There we go. Or he calls people out for sleeping <laughs> on profit so much. Anyways, welcome to Tactical Crouch number two. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. We've got some really good topics lined up. We're going to talk about leaks in Overwatch. We've got huge leaks for you. I'm just kidding. We do not have leaks for you. Uh, maybe we do. I don't know. Tune in to some random part of the video. And see if maybe there's a leak there. I don't. I don't even. I don't, how do you do that? So you have to like hide the leak in your content, right? Mm-hmm. So that you have to watch the whole piece of content. Is that how we're supposed to do this? Little do you know, we have an ARG setup. So if you find some sort of distortion in the video, you have to actually run it through an encoder, and then that sends you to a website that sends you to another website that gives you the leak. So you just have to find it. Get out there, super sleuths. There you go. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna talk about leaks. We're going to talk about scrims, which is something that we were hoping to talk about last, uh, last week and we didn't get yeah. time to. And then we're also going to talk about uh, coaches and playing Overwatch uh, and if that's an important thing. So we're going to see uh, what the panel comes up with here. But first, let's, let's talk about leaks a little bit. Yiska, can you take us away here on this one? Because I know you were pretty passionate about it when we were talking about it throughout the week. Well, <clears throat> one thing, okay, so let me let me unroll this a little bit differently. Like, I do understand the underlying human needs for um, for gossip, right? Like people who've read uh, the book Sapiens, basically they are, they make the pretty good case that gossip is like a necessary function for human societies in order to keep the checks and balances on anyone so nobody gets away with too much stuff and that's just how we evolutionarily uh developed mm-hmm. at the same time one has to wonder if that's still useful apparently it is. i i don't know if it's useful what it is definitely though is is that it's desired 
Now, with all that said, of course, there is a certain niche and I'm sure you can money, make money with it. And also, if we're going to talk about this later, because of the engagement in Overwatch, it's actually quite hard to make money with content creation, right? So all that said, I feel for content creators um, for trying to get people to watch their content and also to be engaged in it in some way. With that said, my understanding stops at the point where it distorts stories. It makes them up falsely. Mm. It is used as political tools in order to handle certain situations. And you're being used as a puppet without even realizing that this is happening. So mm. while, for instance, the roster leak stuff, I don't care particularly about, right? Like, that's a fun um, thought experiment. It also lets you tinker around a little bit with the lineups. It's, it's kind of strange, even in some parts, how teams supposedly build. And that's fun to entertain, right? That's not my beef. Everything that goes around that, yeah, it's... The problem also is, let's keep in mind, thorough journal journalism takes longer than, like, putting it, uh, it into a video you know, what, what you hear on a Discord server, right? Um, I'm not saying necessarily, for instance, okay, necessarily people will uh, think of, for instance, people like Michael when I'm saying this, or Halo. I'm not even necessarily saying that um, to them that they don't do their homework. I'm just saying that mm. it requires a certain amount of rigor that has great potential to destroy um, careers, right? So depending on how those situations would have panned out, definitely a possibility that someone doesn't make out because of that, right? So mm -hmm. that's, that's my entire beef with my, that situation, basically. Yeah, when you, when you don't go through that whole process of, of running it through a third party, whether that be a, uh, an editor or a site content manager, and you, you do kind of go rogue in a sense, and you do independent, um, independent work. And I think that's really important that we do have independent work, but I think there needs to be more of a, a, a strict acceptance of that stuff where, where we can't just take everything at face value, even though they might be completely right. You know, it is slightly dangerous to operate like that because it's not you know, there, there is no skin in the game. They can just, there, there is nothing, there's no repercussions. You know, there, there is no reputation. They're it doesn't matter. Held accountable. Th exactly. That's, that's my, that's, that's my entire issue. moral situation because I know who, where Michael gets this information from. I know who leak boy is. Should I hold them accountable? Should I name these people publicly in order to keep the checks and balances in, in, um, in the conversation? Because skin in the game is important to, to validate these situations. And if they turn out to be incorrect, well, you just make a new account, don't you? Right? Mm -hmm. Or like, well, then, then Michael is the idiot for, for trusting your, uh, your sources, right? The, the source of it isn't hold account accountable, and I don't like that in any system where there's no accountability and responsibility, it always will end badly, and ac actually, in fact, did. So, yeah, that's, that's my entire problem with, uh, mm -hmm. with the thing, I guess. Well, and I think at least, you know, in Michael's case, at least we know who they are, so it's not like you sure. can just go start up a another account no. tomorrow, except yep. that 
you know, we are seeing people creating anonymous accounts just to post wait leaks and there's not that i don't even know if there's necessarily like a track record so it's like really difficult to go back and keep track of leaks that are true and leaks that aren't and even does the truth of it really matter if they're not being leaked in a way that is healthy and professional i guess like you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, Michael hasn't been wrong this entire time. So he can go ahead and say, you know, the, the most prominent one was, is with uh, Kate in D.C. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. Comes to mind, which that, that one seems the most like career, potentially career ending type yes, of sure. stuff yeah. where it's one thing to say so-and-so isn't happy in San Francisco. It's really easy for a player to go, yeah, I am. No problem. But once you've mm -hmm. gone that far with somebody else, um, like what happened to Kate in DC, you open up a very, a, a very dangerous situation in which, you know, people's entire careers and stakes, and it doesn't even matter. Like, honestly, it doesn't matter if it's true or not at the point now that it's out, out there for, if you're shopping around in two years for a new GM. Mm -hmm. Yep. So. And also, I also urge everyone who does leaking to ask themselves at least partially, why does the person that give, gives me that information share that with me? What, what is their intention? Is there a possibility I'm, that I'm being used for something? Is there a possibility that I'm being fed wrong information in order to, you know, what, mm -hmm. do whatever, right? That'd be and, the quickest way to find them. You just poison the well. And they're the, the pettiest, sometimes they're That's, just the pettiest reasons why people do that, mm -hmm. right? It's the old Apple thing, how they got leakers out, is they'd put them on fake projects and then find out which projects leak. Exactly, yeah. There we go. Fair. I mean, I don't know, though. At the same time, and for me, I don't know for if it's for you guys, but for me, I don't really, I don't necessarily mind the roster leaks. Even if no. teams aren't wanting it to come out then, like, I understand... The the it, it, at the end of the day, it's not really hurting anyone's career. It's not really hurting anyone else. I don't like how when every time I go into the competitive Overwatch subreddit, all I see are leaks that can just kind of be overbearing at some point, and it's kind of difficult to like. No one's talking about next from last last week, sure. And instead, we're talking about who might be on this uh, roster. I think that's kind of the way that Overwatch has been structured because it is such a top-down system where everybody is so invested in the Overwatch League that, that if there's any news in this kind of um, absence of it, is being promoted so highly because there's a want and a need for it. So when there is lower tier stuff, whether it be contenders, whether it be contenders content, whether it be third-party tournaments, you know, that people were interested in, but... Because the, the the structure is so top down, it, you know the content that is going to you know see more popularity, see more upvotes is going to always be the Overwatch League uh, until we get some more support for the the tier two and the tier three scene. Well, this might kind of systematic. This, or, this might be a yeah. good time to talk about engagement in Overwatch too, Yeska, because we were you were talking about in Discord this week about how just the overall community and how it engages with the game is lower than it's been before. Maybe lowest it's ever 
been at this point. I don't, I guess I don't have the numbers to back that up. So I'll redact that. But what is, uh, I mean, what's going on here with Overwatch engagement then in the communities? Because, you know, you see relative, all you see on, you know, competitive Overwatch is kind of the same things over and over. And you see um, a lot of people, I don't know, engage in much more passive way than maybe a healthy game in esports would or should. Mm -hmm. So the thing with engagement is I asked a bunch of people that being streamers, that being um, content creators in general, uh, that also being, of course, writers, um, what the engagement was like. So not, not just sheer views, even though that helps a lot. But engagement also is, a, for instance, for streamers, a big indicator on how your stream will continue to grow or, in fact, how people will continue to spend money on you, right? So it's pos quite possible, for instance, that you have a 20K viewer stream, but you only have 2K subs because there's no engagement on your, uh, on your um, chat and whatever. And there's the possibility, of course, then people always say, oh, that's the view bots. No, no, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, right? And then um, there are chats with, or like stu uh, streamers with quite low uh, view accounts, but they have immense engagement, right? So the chat moves quickly and whatever. And also, if we then look at social media interactions, I have to say a little caveat has to be given. Some type of content is doing quite well in Overwatch. Mm -hmm. So for my understanding, I think... The lifestyle stuff is uh, pretty pretty big from from what I could uh, get. So if you're in that part of content creation, I think uh, Overwatch is doing quite well for you. But also if you look at the, um, the recent stats that uh, the competitive Overwatch subreddit put out, there, there has been a continuous loss in engagement, in views, in comments and whatever. I, I'm not even sure if... The, the, the comments were part of that equation, but yeah, in general, just um, over the season. And now, obviously, yes, it's very natural now that in the off season, there's not as much engagement because obviously not as much content is being created. Sure. Also, we look at World Cup. Yes, the the last World Cup stage wasn't as at the most opportune times, were they? But at the same time, when I when I looked at them, I rarely saw them about uh, above twenty k just for specific games. Most of the time it will lower. Now, now that it, it could very well be the time zone. I'm sure uh, the, the US matches were higher. I'm not sure if they were higher than last year. Um, also, just to go, go back on the streamers uh, thing, yes, there was an injection of engagement simply by the Divas. Uh, the Diva... Um, I think it was really important. That was really that, good. That was pretty sick. The problem is with... Um, um, with that situation, that it the, these streamers only ever retained, as far as I could tell from the stats uh, I've seen, about 10 to 15% of these viewers, which is significant, don't get me wrong, right? But at the same time, like, I don't think that you, if you're a full-time streamer, I don't think Overwatch is currently a game you can build your brand around and can expect a long-term payoff. The check engagement is quite poor in Overwatch these days. 
people will surely bring up the counter arguments, for instance, of XQC growing a stream during that uh, time. This this guy with his personality could uh, sell a trash can. I'm pretty sure. He so, does actually. Oh, XQC brand. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, you're right. And something that you'll even notice with Twitch, right, is it's not so much that. So viewership overall is pretty down and they're also centralized very heavily in a top dozen or so streamers mm -hmm. right it's really it's not as easy to go it feels like it goes down to like 700 and then drops to like 60 whereas you know you watch other games and you have multiple in the you know 100 couple hundred and usually overwatch league players will sit there so that's something i have noticed is that overwatch league players and um players who stream kind of intermittently will sit in like that 100 to 700 range. But I don't know, Joe, like is, have we seen any new organizations move into overwatch or there, is there anyone interested in going into the tier two, tier three scene? Obviously the, where my brain kind of jumps to immediately is Windstrike jumping into um, into Overwatch by signing CIS Hope, um, you know, very very strong EU contenders team. Now they have have a team and organization behind them, so there there is a an interest in it. I just think that again, it's more of the interest in the top down kind of structure where you know we want to be in the Overwatch League, and if we can't, then you know, is contenders really worth you know the organization's time? And that's that's a question for for these organizations. Is it worth it? And I I wonder because we're seeing more and more you know over the course of you know from when the Overwatch League was announced to now you know it's been a big joke, but it's it's a serious you know not concern, but it's it's worrying when you see those endemic brands leave. Um, because they, they have a very, very strong, um, reach and that's very, very important to having people interact with, you know, streamers. And then from streamers, they get interested in the competitive side of things and they watch world cup and they consume content. Um, my biggest kind of proponent to kind of kickstart this has always been more of those diva skin, like the cola challenges, you know, they come out and they stream it and, you know, blizzard promotes them and they really put them out there. Look, you know, look at what Siegel and some of those streamers have been able to achieve just through just, you know, a little bit of a push. And again, Maybe I'm underselling it. Maybe it's a much more of a push from from the organizational standpoint from Blizzard than than what I'm able to to kind of conceive or give credit to. So, you know, you have to forgive me on that that front. But I think if we were to have some kind of um, push forward in terms of content being um, put on a platform, some sort of official platform that you could push forward um, something like the 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 start about lol esports in in League of Legends where they brought in content creators they put them up on the platform and they've really got a place to shine and it doesn't have to just be you know people who write or people who make videos it can be people who make like art i think they actually are doing that where they have a separate twitter for fan art and fan creations and sculptures and that's really really cool but how do we get that same engagement how do we get that same system into the competitive side of things to push that forward because there's i would say a good number of people who do the same kinds of things things for the the overwatch league teams or some of the contenders teams you know how many how many times do we see you know contenders jerseys being created in concepts and that gets a, a, a quite a good amount of engagement and people really really like that stuff so seeing that pushed forward and pushed into the spotlight or being spotlighted at all i think would push um engagement up in general just seeing 
some sort of return and saying, hey, you know what? You know, good on you. You know, at a boy or at a girl. Uh, the, just just pushing that forward. The thing is, the problem I see. OK, so I fully believe if someone tells me the Overwatch League system in terms of what happens within the league and for the teams and whatever was profitable, I would definitely like believe them, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, what I believe to be the case is that Overwatch League, much better than uh, other franchise leagues or esports fan bases, has done is to like develop a type of engagement that makes fans spend more individually on their respective teams. Sure. If someone was to tell me that like the average Overwatch viewer spends double on what the CS viewer does, I wouldn't be surprised. The problem is, what is, what does that mean? So the the viewership is not large, but it doesn't need to be. It's fine to be there because, like, we can crank up the individual uh, gain we get from the individual viewer, so you mm-hmm. get more per viewer. What does that mean to? brands or to to types or parts of the industry who can't do that and more importantly who shouldn't do that because what you're essentially saying is what you should be doing is trying to get the same mechanisms going and the way to do that is to insert your personal brand into that situation now this means some parts of journalism are inherently not profitable as soon as the writer takes himself completely out of the situation, or in fact, the, the, the entire publication does, so it's not a type of style or whatever, and this is just very honest and important in reporting, they aren't building a, really a brand on this. There's nothing really that sticks to it. That should be the case probably in every type of, in every type of journalism, but gonzo journalism. Now, Gonzo journalism is pretty much the only approach that you could feasibly take as an Overwatch um, esports creator. And you even have to think about what that would look like. Are you going to be the controversial guy and try to get views that way? Or are you going to appeal to really strange sorts of um, types of the community, which, you know, you do you, but... Yeah, I think it's very hard to to say that traditional sort of like game focused journalism is getting the types of views. Because one personal anecdote I can tell you is I was writing pieces about competitive Overwatch in 2016. And that was still when there was only the main sub and I could get 30,000 views on one of those articles. Now I can barely crack 10 percent of that with pretty much the same style of content. Now, that doesn't make sense because Overwatch League is here. And we, as content creators, thought at the time, well, once Overwatch League is here, surely the engagement for that type of content would be increasing. I think that, as a project, pretty much is sailed at this point, or something needs to fundamentally change. I think something, too, and this is maybe just to to hit something that we haven't really touched on, is just the state of the game itself. Um, if you kind of talk to somebody about esports just in general and bring up Overwatch, there there can be a wide range of opinions on the state of the mm-hmm. game overall. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how great your league is, how um, engaged your creators are, 
if the game isn't conducive to holding um, holding people's interests, then you kind of lose the the value from the beginning. The foundation that you're, this whole thing is on is on the game being a good esport. And if there ever comes a chance, a, a, a moment where it ceases to become that, and you see arguments all the time of people saying Overwatch isn't competitive anymore. I don't think it's like that. But when you look at things like the tier two scene or Look at contenders last year and see that the playoffs were played on a completely different patch than the regular season. And you see those types of things. You kind of, it, it's, it makes you look and look at a game and go, is this like the best representation of an esport? Is this the esport I want to engage myself with as a player, as a coach, as a content creator, as a spectator? Um, and I think that that's something that, we, I don't know, I don't want to say take take for granted in the sense, but, you know, we, we we live, sleep, and breathe Overwatch. We watch a lot of Overwatch. We just did a, whatever, three-hour VOD review of uh, LGD Gaming versus Runaway, and we have the time and the ability to do that, and that is, um, you know, it puts us in a little bit, I think, different different mm -hmm. class i guess is what i would say but you have a lot of people who aren't like that who still enjoy honestly i just think the valiant stuff looks really cool so i'm gonna buy it mm -hmm. the nyxl pop-up store you know those types of things the teams are doing it but you're you're right in the sense that there is this level of in of engagement i would say in kind of like that middle level of engagement it feels like where they're not totally all in. They're not making content. They're not doing all this stuff. But at the same time, they're not like, uh, I think Jonak's cute and I like his glasses. So I'm going to be an NYXL fan. There's there's a, a big chunk of uh, fans and players, or just fans, sorry, uh, who kind of don't have a lot going for them in that kind of area. And so I wonder how... How you, how you address that. Um, I don't know if you guys have any ideas, but there's definitely a lot of people where if I'm a more casual fan, but not super casual, it might be easier to watch a different eSport. I, I do think it's kind of a little bit on the creator to understand what works and also what um is is more of an investment long form for you as a brand i think that understanding that you know the general audience for overwatch and competitive overwatch or you know just the general populace that plays the game really isn't interested in like these heavy concepts and these big grandiose pictures it's good to have that stuff for you know the five percent of people that are super super interested in it but i in a way i feel like you do have to know what is working, what has worked in the past and not tailor content to them, but be able to manufacture something that they can take and and either learn or take away from or, you know, interact with a personality in a sense where, um, like for instance, right, the, the Overwatch League is is very, very big on trying to push, you know, the players personalities forwards. Whether or not you think that they've they've done that, we can we can agree or disagree. Um, but it's very it's very player. It, it, it the facade is that it's player centric, right? That they want to push the, the the players forward and their personalities forward, and and you know 
again, you can agree or disagree if they've done that or not. So when you when you kind of make content, it you, you have to wonder, is it about the team or is it about the person and how their story and how they felt coming up through the rungs? You know, putting a more human element into it does really well. It, it connects with a lot of people. And I think specifically for Overwatch, it connects very it resonates very well with them because it is so like player you know who who is behind that 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 name who is who is the name who is the the face you know who's behind the name what is their what is their story like because i i i seriously think there's a, a yearning for that there's a want for content that better explains who these people are and that's the type of stuff i think you know just me personally um that works really well within overwatch something that's very you know it doesn't take a ton of you know game time to be able to you know, sit down and really understand. You don't need to know what goats is. You don't need to know what you know a five one dive is. You know you don't need to know any of those weird concepts. I just know that this guy um, moved from Thailand and is super you know positive and we love him and he's really cute and he's kind of silly. And that's the stuff that does well and the stuff that's super analytical does build you up as, you know, being intelligent about the game, having a good game sense. But it's not going to do super well. So it is it is about knowing your audience and, and you know, being either accepting or declining the fact that, you know, this is what works and this is what doesn't. So it, it is, you know, trying to push that that content out there and spotlight it. But it's also around the content creator to be able to, you know, finagle and adapt to the environment that they're given, because, again, it, it's going to change sooner or later, you know, where more people are interested in the competitive side of things. They're more interested in the analytical stuff. And if you can do that, great. But you have to adapt to it. I think that's I think that's fair. Yes. Any more thoughts? on the subject here or should we go on and talk about scrims i mean i guess sort of as a as a cliffhanger i think a lot of stream personalities unless something as big as released uh, um at blizzcon from the stats i've seen will seriously have to reconsider if overwatch can remain their main game mm-hmm. if we're going uh into the future so if that concerns you, well, now you have one more problem to go to sleep with. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Joe, talk to us about scrims here. I know this is something you've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the last podcast, we kind of hinted on it and, um, you know, you know, we, we the, the community has kind of taken scrim bucks and really um, fallen in love with it. But I, I seriously wonder if we are taking scrims again way too seriously um there's been i think in most esports that's used as somehow a metric to gauge um how successful a team is doing behind the scenes um i don't know how many times in interviews and other esports where you know oh in practice we're doing really well so we think we're going to do really well this event you know that's that's fine to say outwardly and it you know gets your fans excited like oh maybe this is the year that x team wins whatever but when I, I wonder if that's, you know, kind of dangerous in the sense where it is kind of you're, you're being sold a false bill of goods where, you know, a team goes 129 and nine and scrims and it's like, OK, well, you know, what does that mean? That doesn't really mean anything because this is practice. That's not it's not like official games. There's a complete, you know, difference in that. And I think, you know, when we see or when we hear 
that players are so jazzed about going so everything's going so well in scrims and and that's really really good that's that's fabulous for them but does that mean the other team is you know what what does that mean for the other team that doesn't mean much of anything to them if they're a not trying or b you know they're they're really trying to get information from you because you're trying to play the scrim to win and i think that's a a detriment to uh, practice overall it should be you know not running drills but experimenting and really kind of breaking down exactly what you're trying to do so i i i worry that again i still think teams are trying to scrim to win rather than scrim to learn and practice do you also think that this is why a lot of teams scrim um with other teams that aren't necessarily in like the same league like overwatch league teams scrimming with uh, unaffiliated contenders teams or, you know, even top tier open division teams. What do you mean? Uh, in the sense that when you're playing a team that's much worse, you know that a, they're going to probably be trying to give you their best. Cause it's more of a tryout sure. uh, and is seen in a lot of ways. Number one, uh, number two, uh, that's what you're bringing them in for to play their best. If you're having, mm. you know, a shock versus uprising scrim, both team is trying to they're trying to glean a lot of information that they probably more than they are being like let's win this scrim or let's try our brand new strategies right. and you know even then i think it was was it the valiant early on who had some kind of interesting scrim uh policies in their sure. in their uh organization I, I think it is interesting when you look at, you know, I think you bring up a good point, right? When you go and you reach out to contenders level teams, you kind of give them a chance to come in and and really push you in a sense where, you, you know, I, I wonder if they, you know, are at the level to be able to push you. I think that some teams are, but uh, I would say a majority of teams outside of, you know, the top four within each region. Um, of the big regions, I would say, um, don't really have the ability to push you and, and really kind of break you. So you're forced to scrim other teams in the, in the league, I would imagine. And when you do that, I, I seriously wonder if practice is really happening or if it's just, you know, trying to win and trying to, to you know, build morale, because I think that is a, another good way to build morale is to win scrims. And that's, again, it kind of echoes the same sentiment that I started with, where it's it doesn't feel like practice, you know, practice can go well. And that should, that should, that should do something to a player or to, to a support staff that kind of bolsters their confidence. But I don't think your entire confidence should be built on the fact that you've done so well in scrims. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, make much sense to me. I, but again, maybe I'm the outsider here. Maybe I don't understand fully exactly what's going on behind the scenes to push that forward. So, um, again, it was just kind of a talking point to kind of explore, you know, what scrims mean in esports because, <laughs> Like I said, it's it's propped up in in many other games, you know, um, I don't know how many times I remember in, in the NALCS, you know, curse coming out and I will dominate saying, you know what, we've we've won every scrim and we're going to do so well. And then, you know, unfortunately, they they didn't. So what it, what does what do scrims mean? They don't they don't really mean much of anything but practice. Again, I, I, I take scrims out of some of my articles and I just put practice because that's what I think they, they mean that you just mean practice. Yeah. Though, like, scrims are the epistemological issue that we face in Overwatch. That's, that's our, like, the card was wrong. It's, it's actually what, what it should be called is, I scrim, therefore I go ham. <laughs> 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 like, 
there's so many issues. A, even if you have convinced yourself scrims mean something, you're an idiot for it, by the way, but like then you try to gouge how people did in scrims, you will never, never tell you the actual truth. Whether or not they just forgot and so certain wins took more, um, you know, space within their minds, like you simply will not get accurate uh, results unless something was very extreme where you like got uh, bashed into the ground to zero, so you never took a map of them, or like one, or you bashed them into the ground and lost like one map. These yeah. are the only instances where you are getting credible data from, where both teams would probably agree on the score. Everything else is absolutely lied. <laughs> like, it's not probably not even intentionally so, but that's just how players and their ego perceive, you know, these data points. Now, even there, there are so many issues with scrims, right? Like, for instance, Koreans don't even often play their main lineup. They just bring in ringers. You Suddenly you have, like, some random Korean from, from the ladder just in your Overwatch League uh, level, let's say, or, like, in your Contenders Korea scrim, and you're thinking, oh, I'm doing pretty well. Nope, no, you're not, mate. Like, it's game day, and you barely got the first point on Botskaya. Like... It's a hard it point to get, by the way. <laughs> it, it's, it, it barely means anything. And I don't know why people can't learn from that. There are people who do notoriously bad in scrims, for instance, France, I think, and then come out and just ram people into the ground because they know how to utilize, you know, the, the scrim and the practice environment. Also, not to give it too much away because... Newsflash, if you're doing your best in scrims, depending on the opponent, hmm, that bot might like eventually somehow leak to YouTube or be on YouTube and someone finds an unlisted link. Weird how that works, how people go through every combination of let nah, nah, it's been linked, it hasn't it. So I think the the entire scrim discussion should seriously just be eradicated from from any sort of analysis. It leads nowhere. If anything, it tells you the exact opposite story. That's actually wh where it's good for most of the time. And the, the idea that scrims should even be played to the fullest. So for instance, like that's one side point I wanted to make on the, on the mm -hmm. scrimming um, contenders teams. Sometimes the, the fact that you can scrim contenders teams just means because I'm the Overwatch League team and I grace you with my scrims, I can require you to play a strategy exactly, that yeah. I want to practice against. And you're the pleb contenders non-academy team that now has to play something that they will never use, not on my, our patch, but maybe a coach will see me and think, hmm, next offseason, I might take, the, take a look at him and get into trials. Like, it's a very asymmetric relationship between some of these contenders teams and then some of these uh, Overwatch League teams. But at the same time, I, I also think that's the way how it should be, because otherwise the Overwatch League team is simply wasting their time, unless it's like a top Korean contenders team. Not sure how that would ever work, that they scrim with uh, Overwatch League teams, obviously residing in LA, but like it, it's simply not the same level. The fact that GOATS is so dominant tells you basically everything you need to know about this contenders level because i can tell you if we're playing this meta 
in Overwatch League, yes, it might actually be strong right out of the gate. There's no chance that by week three we're playing that. No chance. So I yeah. so in my conversation with Depay on Overwatch mm -hmm. League Daily, I had asked him about a, a similar question of like, what's the goal in in scrims? And he, when he was, and I can't remember if this ended up getting cut from the interview or not, and I can't remember specifically it was Depay. So. <laughs> asterisk here because now, now, now I'm doubting myself but <laughs> uh, he had said something to the measure of when we scrim with other teams we you know we have all of our okay we're going to be playing this team next week and this is what mm. we're expecting them to run and these are the maps that we're expecting to see so they bring in their scrim partners to then run what they expect basically to play as if they were the other team and do their best to kind of play so that they can see it from their side and get used to some of the you know the looks or maybe some of the the comps that sure. uh, they haven't gotten to play at all against is that not valuable? I mean, obviously the whether they win or lose isn't that valuable, but getting to see you know Treehouse on Anubis for the first time when that was a new thing, and getting to see and kind of practice against that even if it wasn't necessarily optimized in a way that you're you're playing against an overwatch league level team where that is their strategy mm. is that not still beneficial to some respect in a in a perfect world it could be but i still would rather it be about the i would rather again maybe maybe i'm the ignorant one here um i would rather scrim the contenders team to really kind of build up my first principles and and really iron out a solid game plan and really kind of break it down before i jump into what is a glorified exhibition match with another overwatch league team because again at that point, we're kind of uh, agreeing that both of these teams are playing to win rather than to practice. They they get practice from winning, but it's not really about learning. It's about how well does this do against one another? And that's that kind of blows up into a whole another, you know, a debate about information and, you know, how how hard do we really try? And, you know, you know, are we really playing to win? Are we playing to learn? It, that's where things get muddied down. And I and I I worry that that's that that's an issue you know we're not really practicing we're just having big exhibition matches with with other people and it's 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 worrisome and that's why i was always a big proponent of having a 12-man roster so you could do in-house stuff you know having 12 players that are you know of equal skill so you there isn't a huge delta in terms of you know uh skill disparity that you can actually have practice so that information doesn't need to necessarily leak to the public or, or leak to other teams because again teams talk players talk come on now let's let's be serious so having having that in-house system, it, it builds players up. It gives you a, like a huge deep bench if you need to. I, again, there's logistical issues with that, you know, having players that that want to be able to uh, sit on the bench and, and really kind of practice and, and be the second string and, and selling them on, on, on that idea. But I think, you know conceptually you know at the the highest level i think that probably is still the best way to do it it just doesn't seem feasible at the moment when it comes to you know bringing those players up and giving them that opportunity i just don't know that there's enough of those players that are of that mind that also have the skill to kind of push a team forward 
and, and continue them rolling. So it's 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 a messy topic. It's it's very strange. Um, but I seriously think that um, in esports as a whole, uh, practice needs to be a lot more regimented and um, structured around learning rather than you know necessarily playing playing to win it's it's probably the best way to describe it it's quick play learning just learning had my first games on doomfist this week it was it was rough it was rough (laughs) joe it was really really bad so speaking of playing overwatch we did get a really interesting kind of conversation between uh and bare hands this week on mm-hmm. uh, coaches playing the game. Now, I'm going to be a full disclosure here. When my time is split between making content for Overwatch and playing Overwatch, usually I err on the side of making content rather than playing it. So, but essentially, the official tweet from DPay was oh man, we talked a lot here. Just started playing some Overwatch after about a year to see if anything's changed. Wouldn't be surprised if the NA pros went insane between now and Overwatch League start because ranked is full of trolls. Korea is better practice. Um, And then Bearhand said, so you're a coach in Overwatch League and haven't played the game in a year, question mark. And they kind of go through this conversation and regardless on you know, where they landed on that. I think it, mm-hmm. it's an interesting topic is should coaches uh, be actively to be the best coach that they can be. Should they be actively playing a lot of overwatch is a year too long to not play overwatch to be a good coach. Yiska. So, Okay. I don't have any empirical evidence on this, so I'm just going to try to, you know, think this through where, like, basically inductively to try to figure out what what the problems could be with the situation, because I think it, it's probably pretty scattered. One thing I would hope is that Overwatch League coaches don't play with their players. I think Arrow, for instance, brought up that point. I think Mm -hmm. that's a fair one. Um, Unless you're your source of uh, authority doesn't stem from or couldn't could be harmed by the uh, fact that you've uh, outed yourself as a scrub but um basically i think for a coach especially head coach it's not as important i'll tell you why because my conceptualization or concept of um of a head coach it's not necessarily to know the ins and outs, absolutely everything about Overwatch that, that can model all these things. First and foremost, my head coach, if I'm the GM of a team, is my leader. He delegates these things towards the assistant coaches, towards the analysts, right? And then towards the players. And he makes that all gel, right? He's not necessarily, uh, he's, he's not, you know, structuring scrims necessarily, but he, he gives, you know, rough guidelines and keeps the machine running so for that the process of playing overwatch where you could potentially get a feeling for the characters right to by your own mechanical understanding and sort of getting the idea of it where you could say okay maybe we could try that and then 
I mean, if this guy could do do this better than I do, then this is for me more a thing that an analyst should be pointing out, right? So he, an analyst, should probably be either very active himself or watch a ton of player scrim uh, first person si uh, situations simply to get a feeling for what first person feels like. It's very like it's very different to to see these. You know situations how they play out. So, for instance, let, let's take a widow scenario, right? Mm -hmm. You're building a strategy on widow, and you can empirically have a feeling for okay, this much damage is coming from my widow from that elevated position, and I can expect this just empirically. But I don't know if my widow is actually doing a great job or a good job, right? Mm -hmm. So. And that make might make or break a strategy, right? It's like the the mechanical differences, how much, you know, how much air there is to the absolute top slot. I got, don't get a feeling for that if I'm not in the first person position, or in fact, if I don't know, you know, myself what could be possible in that situation. I think the direct way to arrive at that point of understanding can be done, even for the analysts without have a playing touching the game but certainly you would have to employ other methods to get that what you should be getting from playing sure. yourself no 100 percent. i think that you know if you break it down to like a 90 10 or a 95 uh, you know kind of um creation or study versus actually playing the game um you can start to see why you don't really need to play the game if you're you know the game itself is is drastically different from what you're viewing through the lens of the Overwatch League or, or high level contenders, you know, play in a tournament or whatever, what have you. The the game is completely different. So I think that you're doing yourself more of a disservice to actually play the game than study it. You you know, I as an analyst or you as a coach or you as a, a head coach or you as a as a content creator, a writer, an analyst, whatever you don't have to play the game to be able to you know try to understand it and then better explain it to uh, a player or a viewer or you know someone who's consuming any form of content you know we see that historically explained in esports where you have very very strong coaches transitioning between games that they've have very little experience <laughs> with and doing extremely well the Africa Freaks head coach for League of Legends is a former legendary StarCraft Brood War player. The head coach for SK Telecom, although they haven't done very well recently, very, very touted as one of the best head coaches in the game. And I think he, if I'm remembering correctly, plateaued at around like silver or gold in League of Legends. Um, you know, how many CS players or how many CS coaches actually were former players? Some of them are, and that's perfectly fine. That's a whole another niche argument, but most of them, don't really or haven't to my understanding you know aren't you know the best players in the world it, it has little to do with how much you play the game and again this is more of a a different discussion from what they were having but you know it is an interesting topic to bring up just to kind of reiterate that um not to mention that again it, it's it's such a different game from what you're experiencing in in even like top 500 yes. it's completely different Mm -hmm. It's so vastly different that I would rather I'd rather have members of the support staff play different games to understand concepts better in Overwatch to be able to tie those two things together. I'd rather you go and play Starcraft. I would rather you yeah. go and play League of Legends hmm. to be able to better understand 
Overwatch. I, yeah. I think playing Overwatch on ladder is at the highest level. If you're a support staff member, if you're an analyst, I think that um, content creators, you can do something with that. But I think it's actually completely um, it has no regard on on your performance or your content or, you know, the evaluation of that. Yeah, I think that writer's mind on a sense is better than everyone else, right? It feels like it's almost impossible to consume any kind of media or content that I couldn't, you know, remanufacture into something that then makes sense within Overwatch. Mm -hmm. So by the same sense, for, for the people who've... Do I have this book here? Let's see. I think I have it here. Uh, All right, yes, good guy, guys. Now. This is a good podcast. <laughs> yeah. He's See checked you. out. Hey, yes, guys. Bye, bye, bye. All right. Yeah. Like, like, like this is this was recommended. Like, I don't know, probably ten years. No, 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 six years ago by day nine, and I uh, bought it at the time. And it's basically a lesson in skill transition. It's it's a book by a chess prodigy. He he's the main act uh, or main uh, character in the movie uh, Searching for the New Bobby Fischer or something. I thought you were saying right? he's like, the main Anna. He's the, <laughs> he's the main Anna. <laughs> like. What? Yeah, and basically he's he's obviously his chess prodigy. I think he also wins the American Championship at some point. I'm quite fuzzy on the details, but at some point he obviously like when he gets older, he gets that feeling. Okay, what what else is there in the world? And he walks into a um, Tai Chi Chuan uh, practice lesson, and then he brings you know the, like he learns that and realizes, oh my chess lessons are actually not that. So the mechanics my chess teacher tried to impose on me or to try to teach me by are actually not that different from the Tachi Chuan, uh, you know, pre uh, uh, master here. So there is skills transition in all fields. And if you indeed need some sort of creativity, but which could be, for instance, a different strategy or a different viewpoint, you know, thinking from first principles, how you solve Overwatch or how you solve a certain, um, you know, let's say, um, strategy. Like, I don't know, for, for instance, like maybe there will be a strategy just that, that just runs you over and the idea is to then just to avoid or whatever based on a judo move you've, you've yeah. seen or whatever, right? This is very conceptual. It's not that likely to work, but these underlying principles are true in almost every part of life, right? Like I can apply this to teaching, I can apply this to uh, writing, I can apply this to uh, coming up with strategies, right? So um, I think th what you're saying about, okay, we are, we're going to look at um, uh, different things other than Overwatch is actually quite tr true in what, like for instance, especially if I'm facing issues that are more basic to human nature, for instance, where can I find solutions with the social uh, strains I find in my team? What did other people do? But not just in other sports, but like in in management or whatever, right? Where can I find these lessons that not necessarily teach me how to, you know, solve the issue, but give me like a new spark or a new direction, a path that I haven't seen before, can go down on and then, you know, develop something out of that. Because the problem of the human mind is, is human mind copies always. You can't make meaning out of nothing. It is always a likeness 
of the the essence of the thing that you know that you then apply to the next thing. So I think there's also a point to be made to be overloaded on Overwatch. Like I don't think it's it's also a statement on on the level of liking the game that you haven't mm-hmm. played it. Like if I'm working, what he's I think, and that's when I left the Twitter chain. Um, Dipay said, "Well, I I work on this game 80 hours." Like how much is going to, you know, play the game, help me more. Right. And that's a completely fair point. And I'm, I, I'd be shocked if it wasn't the case that him doing something else than Overwatch would be more productive to uh, his team winning than him getting on ladder and like trying to get his placements in. Yeah, you don't, you know, a grinding aim hero and and, you know, uh, Osu only gets you so far. I would I would rather take them and and let them experience some other form of competition, whether it be, you know, a martial art. I find myself very frequently, you know, relating the 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 measurement of, uh, you know, ground taken or space created or space taken to, you know, jujitsu in MMA and, you know, pulling guard where you just give up all this space and you say, OK, I'm just going to fight from my back and that's how I'm going to submit you. Or, you know, the concept of uh, strong and slow versus fast and weak in Starcraft, where you take the death ball and you try to I mean, encompass it and then collapse in on it and reinforce faster, you know, taking those concepts and and trying to apply them to this game opens you up it, it you know gives you a little bit of eye bleach so you're not just like oh i'm so tired of seeing king's row in nepal village for 12 hours a day i'm you know you just get tired of it and being able to to learn another language in a sense because it is very um it's echoed in language as well where you know you you learn one romance language and you can apply some of those words and some of those you know um concepts to other languages and you you find yourself Learning languages quicker, the more languages you've already learned and you become fluent at. So it's it's more of a life lesson rather than just, you know, you have to be the best at Overwatch. It's like, well, yes, but we can learn that through multiple different avenues of success. Mm. I do think there's something worth saying, too, as to why or why not somebody is playing the game. Um, sure. a, a completely unengaged coach you're like you know, I don't know I don't really play it and they're not doing those other things right like it's all That's about fair. being effective with your time right and sure. you've seen like, like why why is Caffrey not playing the game in Contenders you mean banned <laughs> that was episode banned. 2 of Tactical Crouch guys thank you uh, but I mean it, it is a, a very good point right is from what you bring up is why you know it's it's not, what is it, 80% of doing anything well is just showing up? And mm-hmm. in this case, too, it's, it's not, if you're, if you're not watching VODs and you're not doing these other things, then, yeah, you should probably be playing the game. Um, but it only is so effective for your time, right? Even right now. After this, I can go ahead and I can go play five hours of Overwatch. It's not going to get my video out faster, though, so... It's not going to teach my players how to how to play dive better. It doesn't. It's not going to teach my players that, you know, wasting Brigitte Stan on Azaria bubble is, you know, any more efficient than not, you know, eating it on an aid. You know, it you playing the game has no impact on <coughs> your job unless your job is to play the game. Yeah. I agree. Again, super devolved from that whole entire Twitter conversation. But, you know, right. In just want to make that very clear. The Twitter convo just got the ball rolling. Besides yes. that, this had nothing to yes. do with the Twitter convo yes. or DPay. 
or bare hands. Um, yeah. Well, I think that we got through our topics. That feels like a good fork to put in that one. We Stick did. We did it's get done. a couple of questions from chat, though. One was from mm -hmm. Badminton nineteen oh one. Says, "What do you guys think about Gator to Atlanta?" <clears throat> That's a strange one. Um, so I have to admit, I'm not actually too familiar with this play, so I won't comment on that. It is interesting that someone with that history, I suppose, um, like that you would consider. Basically, what I mean is, if he's considered. He has to be better than someone with equal skill who is no track record of negative engagement, right? So that should probably say something about his quality. Um, at the same time, keep in mind, it's also very unlikely that this guy is going to play if the rumors are true about the actual Atlanta mm -hmm. um, main tank, which I believe was rumored to be Pogpo, right? I believe so, if I remember. So that. if that's the case, yeah, I mean... That's that's a good opportunity for him, I think. You could build him up. You if you know if he's interested in learning and you know, um, and riding not riding the bench. I think that that has a lot more negative connotation than what I'm trying to portray. But you know, really, you know, going under the wing of the coaching staff and and being able to have that opportunity, while also not necessarily being a starter still having that knowledge and having that on your track record and, and having that experience does say a lot for you as a player. So, you know, wish him the best of luck if it does happen. What are your guys' thoughts on players moving on into coaching and analyst roles? Cause we've seen that with uh, Coco now um, mm -hmm. trying to think of the others, but I know there's a couple of players who are then going on as like a analyst role or a coaching role. Do you, I mean, there was grim reality, I guess. Uh, yeah, over the season. Mm -hmm. um, who else? Damn, it's hard to not. I know. <laughs> well, say the names nobody knows. Wasn't wasn't Mineral? I, I want to say that he played support for a time. Correct. Yeah, sure. If you want to, chance did ago, too, but... right? Is he? Wasn't he doing something in Overwatch League? He was a player, but um, then he went coach. Chance? Was that a phase? Saita. Back in the day. Hmm. Yeah, Saita. Yeah, but he hasn't played in. Has he? Hmm. Okay, this this is outing me myself so as long, a. Yeah. Yeah. That's a while ago. Yeah. That had to have been like. Kai Kai? 17. Sure. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, I think that it, when you have a player transition into any other, you know, uh, job, whether it be a caster, whether it be an analyst, desk host, whatever, I think it's important. Uh, that they have a, a good take on things that they have a, a way to look at the game or a way to explain it to other players that uh, you aren't going to find elsewhere. Like I can't, I can't look through the eyes of a player that, that mm. doesn't, that doesn't resonate with me. I don't have that life experience, but you know, we might be able to come to the same conclusion, but be able to explain it differently. That might be more beneficial coming from a former player that has a little bit more respect that can explain it 
so that another player, you know, they can connect on that level. They kind of understand it a little bit deeper. So it is another kind of perspective that is important. And um, I think it is a very powerful tool specifically for a broadcast and for a team having them come in. Should they be a head coach? It depends on the person, depends on the skill set that they have. Are they natural leaders? Can they kind of not command respect, but are they respected? Um, And, you know, are they fit for for leading? So it it depends. But I think it is a a very, very powerful perspective to um, to to audiences, uh, whether it be uh, in a competitive setting or or a more general setting. So kind of what I'm getting from that is experience and perspective. We just got done talking about coaches not necessarily playing the game and why that Mm -hmm. is by no means a determination on how effective they are as a coach. Now we're talking about players becoming coaches and having that experience be a valuable thing, which, you know, again, perspective and experience is kind of what makes, well, I I suppose ability to the ability to do the role itself. Mm -hmm. But it's I I see I see what you're saying Um, and to, to kind of rebut on that specifically, I would say. That, you know, when a player transitions into a coach, he he brings along that experience. When a coach comes into being a coach or, or you know, a person comes in to, to coach this team, they they bring in their own experiences. But you not you're not necessarily going back in and, you know, uh, you know, teaching biology. You know, if I if I hire a baseball coach, are they, you know, consistently playing baseball? Probably not. They're probably more focused on, you know, fixing this team or, or re- preparing it or you know, doing whatever with doing this team to make them better. things, doing coachy stuff. Right. So they're, they're not going to be, you know, relying on those past experiences to, uh, well, they, they are, but they're not actively participating in them, if that makes sense. So I, I don't know. It's, it's more time management than anything, I suppose. Fair enough. All right, guys, closing thoughts on episode two. Any of them? Anything else? Nothing. I'm, else. I'm getting a little bored here. Bored, like not with a podcast, but with a situation of not getting to see some Overwatch. You know, a little bit. There's yeah. not, not not enough going on right now. I guess that's a you know the, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of you know that you know the ups and downs and then making the highs higher than sure. they would be if there was content overload. But at this point, I feel a little starved. Especially, I mean, I I care about the World Cup now because I force myself to care. But I like I I'd love to see some Overwatch level play or mm-hmm. in the, the Contenders Korea. I'm I'm all I'm with you on like the you know the fondness makes the heart grow or the the what how's the saying go? My brain's pooping out on me. It's like the absence makes the, the, the heart grow fonder. Far, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, fart go honder. Okay, fair enough. Exactly. The fart go honder. <laughs> I, I I definitely <laughs> I definitely uh, agree with that. And think that it's powerful, but it feels like this dip has been. Did contenders not do it for you guys? It did up into a point. It's for me, it started at around playoffs. Like, am I really that interested in watching, you know, uh, the 14th team or the 12th team play the 11th team? Maybe not. Maybe not. And mm-hmm. you know that maybe that's another topic we can we can pin in is you know how do we change the contender structure? Do we add more teams? Because that's something that a lot of people are super jazzed about. Let's add more teams. I think they might have to even right. I don't. I actually think the, the complete opposite. Teams. I think you should just be cutting teams. 
I think we should well, make sure. it smaller and make it more impactful. Raise the prize money, cut two slots. Because again, the 11 to 12 teams, how competitive are they? The problem is, like, if you introduce more NA contenders, Overwatch, or sorry, more NA teams, sure, and you they want an academy slot, are you just going to kick out the Oracleist guys from your league because you cut two slots and that now you're like, ah, should have should have become an academy to do though. That's the way that it's structured. That's bound to happen. That you know, Orglis and Hungary, they're gonna be they're gonna get bought out by XYZ, you know, Overwatch League team, and the Academy team's gonna come in and say, you know, we take two of you and then the rest of you are being replaced. You know, sorry to see you go. I don't personally like that, but that's probably the the lay of the land. That's probably what's going to happen. So, you know, making it more impactful, you know, we we talk about, you know, oh, contenders needs more money. Contenders needs more, you know, uh, meaning. So how do we do that? You know, we can talk to, to the Calcons home and, and get all worked up about it. So how do we actually fix it? And I think but, that, you know, making it more competitive overall would drive people to watch it. The thing is, I think for the level that contenders is in, and in the terms of meaning, in terms of production, in terms of quality of play, it's already way underrated by viewers. Sure. I think like the, the viewership that we see in, in the usual contenders match, I, uh, for instance, for the, for the, I mean, okay, it's, it's at a bad time, admittedly, for much of the Western world, but mm. contenders Korea, this is Overwatch League level play for most of the playoff stages. So shouldn't we see some sort of numbers in that regard? Worse yet also for for you contenders, for instance, not that they are on the same level necessarily, but the the level of the viewership is even lower, right? Even though it's pretty good to pretty good domestic time. So I think if people realized just how important contenders is then yeah yeah that's basically i don't no, i don't want to elaborate too much because yeah. i know we'll we'll, so, we'll stick we'll, we'll pin stick this. a pin in it yeah all we'll right fair enough we'll i'll continue. keep my thoughts then uh yeah, yeah. let's let's call it a show then we're right on time again right at that like hour and 15 minutes good job guys sure yeah yeah, yeah. we're yeah. we're quick and tidy uh, thank everyone again for kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. didn't say that. Yeah. It wasn't me. Didn't yeah. say that. Thanks everyone for tuning in for episode two of Tactical Crouch. Make sure to follow Volamel and Yiska and myself on Twitter at Yiska out at Volamel and at Kick Tripod. And of course, you can follow the show. At, everything is kind of going through the Overwatch League daily stuff. So at OWL Daily Show on Twitter. Uh, youtube.com slash kick tripod is where you can find the VOD for this and it's on all your podcast feeds at uh, just look for the Overwatch League daily podcast feed and that is going right up there as always uh, send us your questions and things like that so if you have topics and things you want to discuss do our best to discuss them on I want to see another show. thousand views on the podcast there you go. I want to see another thousand they, listeners get out they, there. They they said I was a one hit wonder with my NSYNC oh, video. We got round two. Going, going to prove them wrong oh. with this, these podcast hits. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, that's gonna do it for us, guys. It's time for us to say goodbye. Bye bye bye. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs> Bye.